Uh, hey everybody and welcome to this episode of Pizza Plus Coffee Equals Code. Uh, we've got the lovely people from Dinosaur Polo Games here to talk about uh, mini motorways. Um, and I guess just to kick it off, for uh, people who think maybe mini motorways is something you drive your little toy cars around on, uh, can you give a little overview of the game and maybe introduce yourselves as well? Casey, do you want to begin with the intro? I think, I think you're a lot better at it than I am. Aw, oh, shucks. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, my name is Casey Lucas Quaid, and I am calling in from uh, sunny Wellington, New Zealand uh, on this fine afternoon. I'm the community manager at Dinosaur Polo Club, and I've been working to bring mini motorways to the Steam audience for the last whew, a while. <laughs> and uh, if you are unfamiliar with mini motorways, uh, which launched in Apple Arcade back in late 2019, Basically, it is a um, it's a game that exists kind of at the intersection of strategy, simulation, and puzzler. I think it kind of combines elements of all three and is not any one of any of those. Uh, it's, it's quite an interesting mix. And people who are familiar with our first game, Mini Metro, will definitely recognize some familiarity. But um, it's a it's it's kind of a bit funkier than Mini Metro, I would say. It's a bit less predictable, and it's uh it's a bit more uh, agonizing if you're the sorts of <laughs> the sort of person who uh, contends with the RNG a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's a game about uh, building roads through a growing city and trying to keep your commuters happy and uh, facilitating their journey from A to B with uh with the least hopefully amount of chaos possible. Cool. That's. Uh, uh, great description there. Um, I always just say it's like, it's like SimCity, but you just build the roads. So I think Casey's description was a lot more um, uh, on point. And um, I'm Robert, and I'm, a, I'm the um, uh, uh, co-founder of Dinosaur Polo Club and a, and a game designer on Mini Motorways. So, well, you mentioned it there coming out onto the uh, mobile platforms, and now you're bringing it to Steam. Uh, I guess, what has been involved in that transition process from mobile to PC? Oh, boy. <laughs> a bunch. <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I think some aspects of it were a lot easier than we expected. Uh, um, uh, as we were, we were on Apple Arcade first, first uh, uh, that means we've been out on Mac anyway since September 2019, so we've had full mouse and keyboard support, uh, um, which I think is a traditional kind of, kind of hurdle that you... That you um, uh, cross for for um, Steam release, but there's been heat. I mean, a lot of a lot of alterations on things like um, interface, user experience, uh, and as well as just um, eighteen months of just of just upgrades and improvements from our fans and th uh, uh, things like that. Yeah, because the uh, the version of the game that the Steam audience is going to be getting uh, this week is definitely not the exact same version of the game that launched in September 2019. There have been a lot of content upgrades. There's uh, new options that you can use for upgrades for your roads. There's new maps. There's going to be new achievements. Uh, there is new, uh, like, a gift sharing and export feature. And there's um, there's also just all sorts of kind of behind the hood uh, tweaks. There's been lots of performance uh, upgrades and things like that. Just little things to make it a uh, a nice smooth experience. And then the big upgrade for Apple Arcade is uh, dropping on the same day as the Steam release, so both of our audiences will get to experience it at the same time. Nice. Uh, you mentioned specifically there that sort of UX and user interaction piece. Um, 
five minutes before we started recording, I talked to one of my mates who loved Mini Metro, Metro, um, and he was just talking to me about how intuitive all those controls were, um, and how, you know, all the gestures and everything. Uh, so I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit that process of designing that UX and that, uh, user interaction with sort of all these gestures and minimal buttons and stuff. Yeah, that's something we certainly, I, I think we make games that look really simple, but are actually a lot harder to, uh, harder to make than you think. We do spend a lot of time on those sort of interactions and just to make sure that we only show the player what they need to know at the time and that we, but we also don't frustrate them by, by withholding anything. Uh, and, uh, we, we do, we, we do a great, a, a great deal of, um, testing to just kind of make sure that what our expectations are that people will have about the game are the ones that they actually, that we think they should have. So, uh, yeah, we just, we, we're just always always adding adding editing and removing things if if they don't really uh, have have the right um, behavioral expectations, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, because I think any sort of game that could be even remotely classified as a sim uh, is just going to have so many interactive systems and so many behaviors that are all dependent on a heap of other behaviors. And everything's sort of interlinked in this really interesting way. So it means that anytime we make a slight change, even if it's to something just like the tutorial, there's always this uh, flow through effect where you have to keep in mind that uh, basically you have to iterate slowly to try and get to where you're going because anything that you change could cause a domino tumble effect further on in some other aspect of the game. And uh, it's it's been really interesting retooling the tutorial to uh, kind of capture a bit more of that first time early Steam user audience and ensure that we are, you know, kind of accurately conveying what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, when players are going to start wondering, hey, but how do I do this thing that I saw in a screenshot? And uh, yeah, like Rob said, it was a lot of testing, a lot of testing. Yeah, we've often had to, had to completely... Um uh order things com uh, uh, completely differently in in the tutorial so we've we've had to like move i think we didn't introduce points until the end of the tutorial at the start but but i think they're now like the third thing that gets introduced to just just because it was people didn't really understand what the point of the game was even though they didn't have to un they didn't have to understand that but uh it was just it was a confusing thing if they didn't didn't understand it at the start so we've we've had to yeah kind of move things around in the tutorial especially yeah Okay. And maybe for a player who's a staunch PC player, so they've played Mini Metro, but they haven't played Motorways just yet, uh, how different or what are the main differences with Motorways versus Metro? Oh, good question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, you could just say we've just exchanged, exchanged for trains for cars. Uh, that's a pretty, that that's, that's kind of it as a very, basic point um but that does alter the game a lot though of course because the way that you build your network uh everything shares the same roads of course now so 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 you don't 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 have like red roads and blue roads and yellow roads obviously you just have roads that everyone can use so you have to think a lot about sharing the the uh yeah, but how but about how your cars how your cars share the roads and that introduces congestion which 
which we don't have in Mini Metro. And uh, that, that, I think, it sounds like it's a small GIF, but it's it's completely alters the game, I think, ultimately. It it means it's a game less about, about frequency and more about congestion and network reuse. Yeah. Yeah, and it means that um, when you are introducing every single movable agent on the game interacting on the same network of lines rather than the line system that Minimetro uses. It means that uh, in theory, every single pathfinding behavior is just a little bit less predictable. And um, there's also a lot more uh, adjustment to kind of real-time strategizing. So you can move and delete and change things around in Minimetro. It's just that sometimes the line system in Minimetro means that uh, the game might not respond immediately to the changes that you make, depending on how far down the line uh, the changes you've created are. Whereas in Mini Motorways, uh, you can delete things and see a response in the game pretty quickly, which allows for a lot more real-time control of what's going on. And uh, that also means that you can make your city worse really quickly. <laughs> yeah, but I think having said, said all of that, we, we did kind of seek from the outset to make a different game that still felt the same. So And it, and it does have the same kind of vibe, the same kind of... Um, easy in, but but kind of stressful, hectic end uh, that 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 the first game had. So it it is still a very similar feeling game, even though it does um, have a have a d- different underlying experience. I think. Uh, and then from that same friend, uh, he loved the sort of aesthetics of Mini Metro. You know, drawing from those iconic uh, Metro maps. Uh, so he was curious, I guess, about the process for the new game was there anything similar that you drew inspiration from for the uh the look and feel yeah we we tried to um have a look at, at say um uh, uh google maps and apple maps and that kind of thing to kind of uh pull from the um the aesthetic that i think everyone kind of is now familiar with uh we we did also want to make them a little bit more Vibrant though and colourful, uh, which which we kind of took from those um, uh, um, uh, um, Bank tourist map, maps that no. that should some, sometimes get that that are just a bit more sort of characterful. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. The like the the map of all the different uh, areas of a theme park is kind of a really a really good example. I think. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys are theme park nerds, but I watch a YouTube channel called Defunct Land, which explores um, defunct theme park attractions and old theme parks that have been closed down and uh, rides that have been decommissioned because they either fell out of favor with their creators or were just incredibly unsafe. You know, that that sort of stuff. And um, it's really fascinating looking over all of the different kind of theme park maps because you can definitely see that there's a similar sort of like uh complex shapes abstracted down into silhouettes very colorful very flat limited three-dimensionality and um i i think that uh that that's something that blake definitely mentioned was a, a source of visual inspiration as well yeah i've seen a few episodes of defunct land i haven't seen all of them but i've seen maybe two I, I have not i'll, I'll have to check that out that sounds fascinating <laughs> <laughs> uh and then i guess you guys you made mini metro and then how quickly did you start thinking about the next one 
did the wheels start turning straight away or did you sit back and wait a little while? Uh, well, we worked on Mini Metro for, oh God, three and a half years before we released on um, um, iOS and Android. And at that point, we weren't thinking at all about the next game. We just had to get this one out. Uh, it was within a few months, I think, we started to think about, okay, what are we going to do next? I mean, but it, we still had a lot to do anyway. We were doing updates and, and things like that for months afterwards, so we, we didn't kind of jump straight on, but we were thinking about it. Uh, we we did a game jam in the studio um, when it, there were six of us at that point, I think, um, about like what the next game was going to be. And we we were looking at a lot of different things. It, it was what our sort of inspiration was was trying to find like real world uh things kind of just real world like not necessarily maps but just uh systems i guess that that people understood that we could turn into a game that you could sort of tinker with and watch um so we we were having a look at uh ski maps like um uh uh, ski trail maps, um, museum maps, uh, architectural drawings, things like that. Um, so we, we spent about three months trying to just find something interesting about any of those. Airports, I think, we're also looking at. Um, and then there was a game called um, Freeways, which which we, we kind of got some inspiration from there, there from our, for, for the next game. And then, then we just began, <laughs> a, I think, eight months exploration of what a car-based version of the game would be and that, that was yeah we there were a lot a lot of different prototypes that we did there yeah yeah i think i think in uh tana our uh programmer and designer he did a talk at gcap and i'm pretty sure he mentioned that there were either 20 or 21 prototypes in the end which is um yep it took, was took, took a lot yeah i think it was Three people on the team were just spending most of a year just just on them. Yeah, <laughs> it's that constant iteration, I guess, to to slowly build up to the final concept. Yeah, yeah, we just sort of test things out and then see how they worked, and then and then have a hypothesis about okay, what well, happened if we did this, or happened if we did that, and then we'd we'd sort of uh, iterate on them or just completely begin again, and and then just kind of take take. Uh, um, uh, bits from this and bits from that and then kind of smush it together and see how it went and yeah yeah uh you guys are based in wellington uh personally my favorite city in new zealand um do you think that it helps uh with the development being such a you know vibrant place to be uh or maybe it gave you some inspiration for the traffic jams uh in your in your new game <laughs> most people actually walk to work i think uh here but um uh, yeah, I do think Wellington, it is a very vibrant, creative community. Uh, there, there's, I mean, there are most of the game dev studios in, the, in town, we can, we are only like four or five uh, uh, blocks away from m m most. We've got the film ministry here as well. So that we, we do have quite a um, broad uh talent pool here which which just i think doesn't 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 shy away from from um cross cross pollinating ideas that's for sure yeah yeah 
Yeah, that's an excellent way of putting it. And there's just, um, there's so much going on in like the visual art scene in Wellington as well. Like I know so many uh, illustrators and uh, fashion designers, photographers, we have a um, a really lovely uh, burgeoning, well, I, I shouldn't say burgeoning, it's it's popularity is burgeoning, but it's been going on for a long time, a uh, film photography scene here. And there's just... Um, yeah, if if there's if there's something artsy and obscure that a person can do, there's probably at least you know ten people in Welling in Wellington doing it and getting together like every other Saturday to share tips or whatever. Yeah, I think that's the the best part, right? Like as soon as you step foot into Wellington, if you enjoy anything creative, there's a place for you to go. Yeah, and I think because it's reasonably compact, uh, because it has to be because we can't like build anywhere else it's just this very very small area uh it just means that if you're into a thing everyone else who's into it is nearby like it's it's not this kind of half hour drive away or anything well well like hour long drive it's just you just you just have to be in the same place because that's a that's all anybody is anyway yeah just build up not yeah up. yeah exactly yeah uh and then finally uh you might have heard me say it at the start uh the the name of the show is uh, pizza plus coffee equals code. Uh, my nine to five job, I'm a software developer. Uh, so pizza and coffee is what keeps me going uh, late at nights when I need to finish coding. Uh, what keeps you guys going uh, late at night? Maybe you've got a little bit of a crunch going on, you need to get it done. Uh, what's that fuel? Oof. Funny thing is we've got a studio of about 20 people now and coffee, I think people, I think there were what, five people in the office that actually drink coffee? Yeah, uh, when I when I started, I was the first person to ever like get hired. Who was like, "Hey, do we have a coffee maker anywhere?" And everyone was like, uh, "Yeah, I'll, we can buy one, I guess." And everyone just kind of was a little bit baffled, looking at me like I had just, you know, spoken to them in a foreign language. So um, I definitely think we're we're more of a tea drinking studio than a than a coffee drinking studio. But um, one reason that we're not uh super super into the caffeine i think is because um despite the fact that we're launching in three days like we we haven't actually needed to crunch on this release like at all we've had a we've had a couple of um a couple of things that needed to be done on a weekend because of the you know time of a thing happening or like packed this weekend has of course needed to happen when packs happens but um yeah, we we haven't been uh, we haven't been needing to pull that many late nights, so I haven't I haven't even been partaking of my usual amount of caffeine. I've been drinking uh, licorice herbal tea just because it tastes nice. Yeah, this definitely has been the calmest release I've ever been involved in. Um, I, I think everyone's a bit just like, wait, what, have we forgotten something here? Like, why why aren't we sort of yeah having to work work constantly? But um, yeah, it's actually, it's been it's been really good. So so yeah, I guess my mine would probably be just to complete the like hipster Wellingtonian thing would be kombucha. That's that's kind of my my uh, uh, beverage of choice. Um, yeah. To be fair, I think yeah. most of the tea drinkers I've met have also been Wellingtonians. Oh, <laughs> like, Aucklanders are just like the higher coffee, and then I go down to Wellington. They're like, which tea do you want? I have fifty. It's just like oh, <laughs> yeah. so many options. Yeah, we have we have a shelf. That's of, definitely uh, our office. Yeah. Office. <laughs> um, 
and then I guess just to to wrap it all up, uh, if people want to get a look at Mini Motorways uh, or check it out when it drops, uh, you have all of those social media links or uh, website links and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. So um, we we have a very easy system with our social media and all that because we are just at Dino Polo Club on pretty much every platform you could expect to find a game studio on. Um, we're most active on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, at the moment we're running some cool giveaways of uh, game keys and Steam gift cards and that sort of thing, especially through uh, our launch week. We're going to have a couple of cool like contests and stuff going on. I'm trying to think of where else you can uh, check us out. At the moment, uh, if you are cool with, uh, you know, uh, just if you're cool with me advertising other people's uh, podcasts and YouTube channels and things, I just wanted to say for for people who are brand new to Mini Motorways, uh, if you want a good idea of some kind of beginner strategy tips, Catherine of Sky has done an amazing intro video on YouTube, which kind of brings you through like sort of sort of the first kind of uh your first couple of experiences with like the the earlier levels of the game and she just um she gets into a nice amount of depth into like how the different road systems work how the different upgrades work how they're beneficial uh how you can use them to ruin things if you're more that kind of player and uh yeah i would definitely recommend checking that out as soon as uh you feel like you want to level up your game well, thank you for taking time to, to chat to us at 5pm. Hopefully it isn't too late on a on a Sunday as well. <laughs> oh, good. Happy to. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs>